Uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles or on your smartphone app, uh, we're going to be reading together from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 17. Matthew 9, verses 9 to 17. It says this, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and, when, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Um, I heard it was snowing outside. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you ever, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what to make of this weather. Later today, we might be in short swimming. Um, but it's crazy. So thank you for braving uh, the elements and making it here this morning. And speaking of braving elements and getting somewhere you're, you're hoping to go, have you ever been lost and just not known where to go or you know where you want to go, but you don't know how to get there? Uh, this past November, I was leading a team from Scarlet City and Vista Community Church to visit our partners with Asia's Hope in Kalimpong, India. And along the way, we made a stop in London. And in London, we had a long layover. And so this was an opportunity to go into the city, see some of London, experience that before the connecting flight, the next flight. So we had a, we had a plan. The plan was to take a train, the Heathrow Express, into the city. And then I'm thinking, I've never been to London. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And so we need to find one of those double-decker buses that's for tourists, you know, no shame in that. You know, typically going somewhere that you want to explore on your own, but sometimes you're just like, we need to be tourists because that's what we are and someone else can tote us around and tell us what we're looking at. So we made reservations for this tourist bus. So we take the train from the airport, get into the city at Paddington Station. Now there was just one problem, one gap in this plan, and it was how to get from Paddington Station to the bus. Now you'd think this would not be that hard. Surely they would have maps that would tell you how to get on the bus, but they didn't. And you'd think if you could call them that they would be able to explain, ah, yes, you're someone who reserved this, so I will give you directions on how to get to the bus. They didn't know. And so me and the team, we walk out of Paddington Station and we don't know where to go. We don't know how to find the bus. And we have a limited amount of time. There's a lot of pressure. And it starts raining. And we're all just, everyone on the team standing there looking at me. And so what do I do in this moment? I just start walking. You know, we just start walking. 
maybe if we go this way, we'll, we'll come across the bus. And that's not working. We're wandering around. So I go into a hotel and they're like, ah, oh, yes, you lost poor tourist. I'll, I'll help you out. Right out there is how you find your bus. We go, a bus pulls up, wrong bus. It's not the one we're trying to find. And so we wander around. Eventually, we find the bus. And by find the bus, I mean we see it driving by and we chase after it. Eventually it stops, we go up, we think, this is, we've solved it, we walk on, but we didn't have the right printed ticket. We had paid for this, we printed off an email, but it wasn't enough, and so we watched the bus drive by and then just wandered around London for the next few hours, and uh, that was our trip. We made it, it was okay. But there's that moment when you're lost, when you don't know how to get where you're wanting to go. Some of us have had seasons in life where we feel lost. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to get where we're trying to go. We, uh, we lose direction. Often it's in periods of transition. Maybe it's when you go to college or after college, your whole life you've just You got on a bus and went to school. Your parents took you to school. That's what you did. And then you graduate. And what's next? All of life changes. Now you need to find a job. Now you need to make new friends. Roommates move. There's this change in life. And it can be disorienting. Oftentimes, transitions like having kids. You've wanted to have kids and then you have them. And then all of a sudden, the time that you had to spend with friends isn't there. It's a change in your life, and it can be disorienting. Oftentimes, it's in seasons of maybe depression, struggling, the loss of someone you love. Where do you go? How do you get to where you need to be? Life has seasons where we feel lost. And Jesus, in the midst of life's challenging, disorienting seasons, like he says to Matthew, he offers us an invitation to follow him. Jesus wants to bring direction in our life. And we've been looking at the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew presents Jesus as king, as authority. And last week, we looked at the authority of Jesus over the physical realm, the The authority of Jesus over the natural realm, over the supernatural realm, the authority of Jesus over sin. This morning, we want to look at what does it look like for Jesus to be the authority in our life? How can he provide direction? And so what we want to see this morning is the admission required, trusting in him, and reorienting our life. How Jesus can bring direction. Uh, First... How does Jesus bring direction in your life and my life? First, we need to admit that we're lost. We need to acknowledge that we need help. Now to set the scene for our situation here in Matthew, Matthew is, this tax collector is responding to to Jesus' invitation to follow him by inviting Jesus to his house. And he's going to have a banquet for Jesus. When it says in the text that they were reclining at the table, it's not so much that they're just chilling. 
the concept then is that this is a large meal, a long meal. And so they want to get comfortable. And, and Matthew invites some of his friends, other sinners, and they come and they want to honor Jesus and they want to learn from this interesting figure. And then we pick up in verse 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, this banquet, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And then another group comes. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So in order to understand what's happening, we need to understand a little bit about the background of some of these figures. First is Matthew. It says that Matthew is a tax collector. And what do we know about tax collectors at this time? Tax collectors were hated by pretty much everyone. They were hated because they were people who often required bribes in order to not have a larger charge in collecting taxes. And at the time, many people, even those who were poor, paid 30 to 40% of their income to taxes. And, but they also represented an allegiance with Rome. And God's people in Palestine were, were under the authority of Rome. And so a tax collector represented someone who was Jewish and yet aligned with Roman authority. Tax collectors represented those who sympathized with those who persecuted you. It was like the French, how the French would view a Nazi sympathizer. It's not just someone who's doing something wrong, but someone who's turned their back on their people. And then we have the Pharisees. And the, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees, it wasn't a job or an occupation. A Pharisees was much like a religious party of the day. And there were three consistent concerns for Pharisees. The Pharisees, first of all, they believed the Torah represented God's word. Second, Pharisees believed that the Torah needed to be interpreted within a strict framework. So that it wasn't, you didn't just read the Torah and come up with your own personal interpretation, but there was a strict way of reading the Torah. And third, Pharisees believed that the Torah applied to every area of life. We look at this, and it's often for us to look down at the Pharisees, how could these enemies of Jesus always get in the way. But really, we would feel pretty comfortable, many of us, aligning with the Pharisees. They were the first century religious conservatives. And so you have the Pharisees and a tax collector. And one rabbinic text actually paints them as complete opposites. The Pharisees representing conservative religious values, the kind of people you would want your daughter to marry. And the tax collectors, those who abandon your people those who abuse others. In one instance, a Pharisee beats up an old woman in order to find someone who hasn't paid their taxes. It's understandable why the Pharisees would ask Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus, this man who's claiming to be sent from God, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And a meal back then wasn't just Hey, we're hungry. You're here. I'm here. Let's eat. A meal represented identifying with people. So Jesus, in breaking bread with tax collectors and sinners, he is identifying with them. And that's how the Pharisees saw it. A meal reflected approval. And this right here is where we see 
the contrast, the challenge. You see, Jesus is coming not to approve of some and disapprove of others. That's how the Pharisees operated. That's how the religious operate. Here are those with whom God should approve, and here are those who by their behavior God should not approve of. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm coming to have a meal, but it's different. I'm not coming to approve of some and their behavior and disapprove of others. I'm coming to bring healing. I'm coming to help those who will acknowledge their need. The first step in following Jesus is to admit that we're sick. Look at how Jesus responds in our passage. Uh, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know, one of the hardest things in life is admitting that we have a need. Admitting that we need help. We, we feel this when we're lost. Some of us, you're lost. Well, you know, I have a map here. No, I don't need the map. I'm going to make it on my own. We feel it when we get sick. You know, I... I dislike going to the doctor. Anyone else? It's like, I mean, who likes going to the doctor? I think some people, actually. They just, the smallest little thing, go to the doctor. For me, my, my arm could be turning blue. Like, hey, Jay, you know, they might need to amputate that. You might need some help here. You know, I, I still wouldn't go. I, I will wait to the last possible moment. And I like to think, you know, it's because I want to save money. I don't want to go pay them. You know, I'm sick. You just go to the doctor and they'll be like, hey, you're sick. Thanks, doctor. You know, thank you. I don't need, I want to save money. I'm, but the problem is that I won't even take medicine at home. I won't even take medication at home. I think, you know, my body, my body's strong enough to handle it. Um, I used to tell Megan that I don't get sick. That's what I would say. I said, I don't get sick. You're sick. You see, Megan, you're sick right now. I don't get sick. At one time, I was so foolish that I believed this, that she had, a few years ago, remember when the swine flu was, was a thing? Megan had the swine flu. She had been to the doctor. They told her, you have the swine flu. And she was taking her temperature from a thermometer, put it in her mouth, and I took the thermometer after she had put it in her mouth and put it in my mouth. I had no, no sickness up until that point. Put it in my mouth as a way of saying, look, I'm going to be fine. Day later... I was wrong. I was sick, and I, 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 to the point of I thought death. And I thought I was above this. My body, I don't get sick. You know, a lot of us, we don't like to admit when we need help. When we're lost, we don't want directions. When we're sick, we don't need the doctor. And the reality is, Jesus, when he's talking about sickness here, he's not just talking about the physical sickness. He's talking about spiritual sickness. He's saying, I have come to help those who are willing to acknowledge their need. For Jesus to bring direction, it requires that we humbly acknowledge that we're lost. But also, we need to understand the true nature of our lostness. The true nature of the healing that we need, that we cannot, we cannot heal ourselves. 
How? The next question is, how can we experience healing? How can we find deliverance? How can we be saved from our status of being lost? What do we do upon acknowledging that we need help? You know, some of us, we medicate by numbing or covering up the pain that we have with pleasure. Life is hard. And you experience disillusionment and discouragement. The plans for your life that you had when you were younger, as you start to live, you realize it's going to be a different story. It's not what you had expected. We find ourselves in places of pain, relational pain, career pain and disappointment, life pain and disappointment. And what do we do in those moments? Some of us, we turn and we medicate with pleasure. We just want a deliverance. You know, you have a stressful day at work. People aren't doing what you ask. And what do you do? You drive and you see McDonald's. You think, yes, French fries will not let me down. I need food. We want to medicate with food. Or you think, you know what I need? Vacation. Life is crazy. Kids, I don't know what to do with that. Talk about being lost. We need a vacation. We need to go somewhere warm. It's cold and snowing. Good grief. This is ridiculous. Make up your mind whether I need vacation. It won't let me down. Vacation. Or I need some new clothes. You know, it's a stressful day at work. I'm just going to buy new clothes. And if we're really really depressed, we'll get a new car, anything to cover that pain. We medicate with pleasure. Others of us, we think, you know, that's not good. That's bad. You shouldn't just go and uh, try to cover up your pain. That's not going to help. You know what we need? We need religion. We need God rules. And that's what the Pharisees do. You know, they, in some way, acknowledge that they need God. But what do they need? What do they want from God? They want God to come and give them direction. They want God to come and give law. They want God to come and say, here's the way to find freedom. Look at Jesus again, his response in verse 12. On hearing this, on hearing the Pharisees question why he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then look at this in verse 13. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees, again, we had mentioned that they love the Torah. They look at the Torah. Jesus points them back to the Torah. And he points them to to Hosea chapter 6. And in the book of Hosea, Hosea was a prophet who was speaking to God's people who had turned their back on God. And he says this. In Hosea 6, what Jesus is referencing, he says, For I, for God, desires steadfast love, not sacrifice. God desires knowledge of him rather than burnt offerings. What are they saying? Here's how the religious operate. They want law. They want to know what sacrifice can I make to get God on my side? What rules can I keep? So that it will turn out well for me. They don't understand the true nature of their lostness. They don't understand the true nature of their sickness. That apart from Jesus, they have no chance. And Jesus comes into this situation and he doesn't say, Matthew, here's my command. 
Here's the right way to live. He comes and he says, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. Jesus enters into the human story, not with commands that if we obey them, we will find deliverance, but he enters into the human story, inviting us to follow so that we can have ultimate life. Here, we find direction when we trust in Jesus alone for deliverance. Jesus doesn't offer a distraction from, a pain, from our pain. He doesn't offer new directions. He offers a new way. A new way. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus is making a way to God. He doesn't stand and point. He invites you to follow. In our moments when we're lost, what do we need? You know, what's not helpful is if you're lost and someone mocks you. <laughs> Those tourists standing there, a bunch of idiots, I don't know. What's not helpful when you're lost is when someone tries to take advantage of you. What's kind of helpful is when someone gives you direction. Hey, that's where the bus stop is. Like the, uh, when I went to the hotel, he said, oh, I, you need to go over there. That's where you go. Good luck. Yeah, that's helpful. But sometimes you obey the rules and you still need help. What you really need, what's really helpful is when someone comes and says, you know what? I know where you're going and I'll join you. Follow me. Jesus enters our story. He doesn't point. He says, follow me. This past weekend, uh, Megan, the boys, and I were in Cincinnati weekend yesterday. <laughs> uh, my grandmother passed away, and uh, she was 91. It was, it was her time. She had been sick for a few years. And my grandma, she raised four boys alone. Four boys. That's, wow. It's a lot of work. And people were sharing stories of her life. And her life, as one could imagine, raising four boys. She, uh, her family was from Kentucky. She was in, from poverty, you know. And uh, there was a lot of pain. A lot of, a lot of hardship in, in her story. And, um, but we celebrated at the funeral, we celebrated and we sang hymns to God. Uh, remembering, looking at her, she was a woman who was baptized. She had faith in Jesus. And so we could look back on our story and grieve, but celebrating the new life that she had. And one of the hymns we sang was John Newton, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. John Newton, who himself was, was an 18th century slave trader, experienced the grace of God. And he was so transformed by it, by God's grace, that he could no longer participate in that wicked occupation. But he became an abolitionist, fighting for the freedom of slavery. And look at how he captures God's grace in this hymn. Again, thinking of being lost and now found in Jesus, he says, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved 
a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Grace will lead us home. The gospel is the good news of not the directions on how you can find God, but how Jesus came to find you. He enters our world and he says, follow me. I have paved the way to God. How Jesus can bring direction. First, we must admit that we're lost. Second, we need to trust in him. And lastly, We need to reorient our life around this grace. Reorient our entire lives. Jesus invites Matthew. He says, follow me. And it says that Matthew got up and followed him. Complete change. Matthew's heading in this direction, and now he's going in this direction. And and we see the point continue in verses 14 and following. Jesus has this this, uh, exchange with John's disciples. Look at what it says. Then John's disciples... They came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your, your disciples do not fast? Now, these are disciples, followers of John the Baptist. In fact, a few of them became apostles, became disciples of Jesus. John the Baptist was close. He supported Jesus. And so these are people who, by and large, are trying to do the right thing. And they have a serious question. They have a serious question. Jesus we get, we get your, your issue with the Pharisees, okay? We understand that you have come to heal people, to care for the sick. But what happens once someone embraces you? Why is it that your followers don't display this religious behavior of fasting? A genuine question. And look at how Jesus responds. He responds often, he does this with three metaphors, and he's illustrating something very, very powerful. Three metaphors in verses 15 to 17. First, Jesus says, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Jesus is saying, I am here. And while I am here, my disciples celebrate. They will celebrate. There will come a time for fasting, but there is also a time for celebration. And then he gives a second illustration. And basically he says, don't put a new patch on an old garment. When the new patch shrinks, when it's washed, it'll tear off from the old garment, making the rip larger. And then he says, do not put new wine into old wineskins, which when the new wine expands due to fermentation, it will It'll break the wineskin. What Jesus is saying here is this. You guys are missing. You're missing what's happening here. I'm not coming to provide just another good religious way. I am offering a whole new way to God. A completely new way. Not based on keeping rituals, but based on trusting in me. And when you trust in Jesus, when he becomes the authority in your life. Now your whole way of living, there's a whole new reorientation. Jesus invites us to reorient our entire life, not around good religious practices, 
but around grace. Reorient our lives. Matthew is sitting and now he gets up and he follows Jesus and his life will forever be changed. And so, just practically, what does it look like to reorient our lives? You know, one of the things Jesus is asking, he's not wanting us to just sprinkle on some good Jesus sayings into life. Go to church, do some nice things, and then, you know, the better version of you. He's, he's offering a whole new, a whole new version of you. One, in which, one which is defined by his grace. I think it comes down to basically how we look at Jesus. Is Jesus kind of like a junk drawer? Or is he like the cup that holds our keys? A junk drawer, what do you put in the junk drawer? You put things in the junk drawer that you probably should throw away. But nah, maybe one day you'll need it, and so you put it in the junk drawer. Now, if you emptied the junk drawer, your life's going to be fine. You're going to keep going. You know, you'll get to where you need to go. Your life, your, your day will be fine. If you lose the keys, <laughs> you're stuck. You're not going to get to where you need to go. If you lose your phone, you don't say, oh, no, I can't find my phone. Well, here we go. No, you, you call, you search. You need the keys. You need the phone. Jesus, he doesn't want to be just another thing you throw in the junk drawer. He has the keys that bring life. Jesus... He wants us to reorient our whole life around His grace. One of the ways we do this, Jesus brings a new identity. We learn, we reorient our life around Jesus because we're reminded that we belong at God's table. You belong. You have a new identity through Jesus Christ. Along life's journey, there will be critics. There will be people like the Pharisees that come and say, you don't belong. You don't belong. No. You're, you're, you are an outsider. You do not belong at this table. There will be disciples like John's disciples that will come, around, come along and say, you know, you're not doing enough. You, you, you're not doing enough. And really what they're saying, that the, the word that they're saying is imposter. Imposter. If they know you, if they find out, you won't be welcome. You ever been somewhere and felt like you didn't belong? Maybe church <laughs> often is where we feel that. Don't have the right words, not dressed the right way, don't do the right things. People knew. They knew you. The pastor knew. I remember one time when I felt like I didn't belong, I was uh, stand, flying standby on American Airlines, and because I was in standby, I got to go first class. You ever ridden first class on an airplane? It's weird. It was uncomfortable. I'm sitting next to someone, this lady, and she was dressed really nice. You know, she belonged there. She was dressed really nice, and they bring you a meal. They actually bring you food and silverware, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I hope they don't find out that I'm this college student. And so I'm trying to, I think I talked in like a British accent, you know, like trying to sound really high class. And, and really, I just, like, Jay, don't mess it up. If they find out, they're all going to laugh. You know, church can often feel like that. People really knew. 
You wouldn't belong. And so we think, what do I do? What does that person say? I'll talk like that. What do they do? I'll do what they do. What, what, what do I need to do to fit in so that people think that I belong here? And there's that voice, that critic that says, imposter. And Jesus, he shows up. And you know what he does? He defends. He defends his disciples. He defends them. He says, no, no. You don't understand. It's not just that I tolerate them at the table. It's not that Jesus is just here with Matthew and Matthew's friends. Like, oh, good grief. What did I get myself into? No, he says, this is why I came very reason is for you and me. And he looks at us and through the finished work of Jesus, we're not just tolerated at God's table. He desires to break bread with us. You don't just belong. You are wanted at God's table. We have a whole new identity. And lastly, we have a whole new calling. A new calling. We are invited and that God's work of inviting others to the table with us. One of the voices I hear sometimes is worthless. Worthless. You ever hear that voice? You have nothing to offer. I mean, show up, that's enough. But you, have no, you, you can't do anything. And God, look what he does to Matthew. Not only is Matthew just a, a tax collector whose life has changed. No, Matthew's whole future is changed. It says that I have not come to just heal. He said, I have come to call the sick. That God wants to work through broken sinners. Broken sinners like Matthew. Broken sinners like you and me. That's where God's grace is displayed. And Matthew, wow, was his life changed from this point on? He will go and and tradition has it that he goes to Ethiopia as a minister. Here, right away, he's inviting his friends. He's like, man, you guys need to meet this dude. Come, come to my house. We're having a banquet so you can meet Jesus. And Matthew, this tax collector who, had, who was hated by others, writes the gospel that we read today. God takes broken sinners who humbly acknowledge that they're lost and look to Jesus alone for deliverance. It gives us a new identity and a new mission, a new calling to enter into the lives of others. People who are searching just like we are. He calls us to invite them to the table with us. Are you lost? Would you be open to Jesus bringing direction in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who enters into your world through your son and you invite us to follow. You don't come knocking down the doors. You don't shame us or bully us into your kingdom. You offer an invitation. God, I'm often so confused. Our, Lord, our world is full of 
questions and things we don't understand. God, I pray that, that this church would be a safe place. A safe place where we can together ask the real questions of life. And that we can look to your son. And like Matthew, upon hearing the invitation, we can move from just being seated to standing and following him. Amen.